dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 15 of the podcast. This week we're covering essentially all of last week's episodes, or this episode that drops on Tuesday morning, essentially covers all of last week's episodes. That would be The Flash Season 2, Episode 13, Welcome to Earth 2, Arrow Season 4, Episode 13, Sins of the Father, and Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 4, White Nights. Um, I will get this past Monday's Supergirl episode in with the Arrow and Flash episode later on this week. So you'll get all of that towards the end of the week. But I'm covering these three right now. By the way, my name is Matt Murdock, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. At your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes in downloadable or streaming form. And you can also find the social media and contact links, such as Save This City Pod on Twitter or Save This City Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send an email. Or area code 314-669-1840 if you want to leave a voicemail. You can also find podcatcher links, and if you would take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher, it would be very much appreciated, and I'll thank you for your review right in this space. would love to hear from you and your thoughts about episodes, even if uh, they're slightly behind or slightly ahead of where I am. Go ahead and... Send me that feedback. I I would love to hear from you. And I guess that's really enough about the podcast itself. Why don't we just go ahead and get right into this. Let's talk first about Flash, Season 2, Episode 13, Welcome to Earth 2. It was a teleplay by Catherine Walchek and directed by Millicent Shelton. A couple of names that I am unfamiliar with. But this is our first look at Earth 2. And in general... I loved getting to really explore Earth 2. Um, I thought it was really neat because you have this mixture of old, vintage, or or even antique-looking stuff, and you also have all of these tremendous advances in technology. Um, The cars and the trains and the planes, the telephones... The clothing style, all of that design was magnificent because it looked old, and yet it's implied that it's actually technically advanced from where we are. It was almost kind of like going through um, Disney's Tomorrowland or something like that. Futuristic, yet antiquated in its own way, uh, all at the same time. But I I really love the thought process that probably went into that and the design and the production of that. I thought that that all looked super fantastic. But speaking of being antiquated, um, I felt like a lot of the acting, even in this particular episode from the characters from Earth 2, were done in a very 40s, kind of over-the-top, over-dramatic, cheesy kind of acting um, that was done in the movies in the 40s. Um, Now, that's something that I can really appreciate because I like old movies. And just as an example, like Caitlin as Killer Frost, um, she seemed very 40s serial evil broad. You know, uh, something out of the 40s serials, so, so the, the, the evil 
woman that kind of thing. There, there was a, even a sex appeal to it, which kind of reminded me of like the 60s TV Catwoman even. Maybe just a little bit too over-sexy, a little bit too over-dramatic. Um, and I, I think that that was intentional. At least I hope it was, because if not, then it's just bad uh, to have all of these actors do this. But I'm pretty sure it was intentional. And therefore, you know, it just seemed perfect to even make the fact that everything looks kind of old, even though it's more technologically advanced in a lot of ways. You have our same characters. Well, they're doppelganger characters, I guess, acting uh, differently, much more in a 40s kind of vein. So uh, Killer Frost was fine. I I had no problem with that. Um, As for seeing Ronnie again, uh, this time as Deathstorm, that was great. Um, to me, Ronnie never really got fleshed out all that well in this series before they killed him. So I don't really can't really tell if he seemed all that dramatically different from Earth One Ronnie. Um, but I wasn't bothered by it either, so that's fine. Um, Joe as a singer, uh, that just seemed like it was done just as an excuse to to kind of show off Jesse Martin's singing skills, and that's fine. He's really good. Um, but I just can't recall Earth One Joe ever having an inclination um, to sing all of that much. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm forgetting something. But it just it seemed like a weird take, except just to kind of show off the actor's skills rather than think about character. And it seems like if Earth Two Iris is kind of carrying on the family tradition of being a cop, that her her dad, that Joe would have too. Speaking of Joe's death in this particular episode, Earth 2 Joe, I mean, um, I don't know. It was just everything from the way that the lines were done um, to the way they had him be fine and then suddenly just quit. Um, It really made it unreal, and you put that all of that over-the-top 40s kind of stuff with it. Um, I didn't really feel any impact, and I I felt like I should have. Um, Even, you know, with Iris getting so upset and everything, I, I felt like I should feel something for Joe passing, but I I really didn't feel anything. Um, So that was kind of a fail for me because you all know that I'm such a sap. Uh, Normally that kind of stuff does get to me. And speaking of Iris, the Earth 2 Iris, I, I love that she has this kind of like, again, tough, broad persona in, in a way. Um, and really, she's not all that different from Earth One Iris. I, I just feel like it's over amplified a little bit, and and that seemed perfect. Um, and it gave a lot of uh, gave a lot of balance or counterbalance to the overly wimpy Barry that we got. That was almost to the point of a little annoying. And I hope we don't get too much of that this week. But I kind of have a feeling that we will see a little more of Earth Two Barry. Um, and and Grant's funny i mean as that guy he's very funny so i mean that's fine but it just it annoyed me uh just a little bit plus we had to have a little bit of of marriage time for for barry and iris to help satisfy the west allen shippers who've been suffering all year because of patty um that's fine too here's what it makes me wonder though and this issue was explored a little bit in this episode barry um really got invested in um, the the West uh, family, the Earth Two Wests. So I'm wondering if some of these feelings might transfer back over to Earth One Iris once he gets back to Earth One, because you know it will. 
eventually. Um, so if Earth 2 Iris has kind of rekindled some of Barry's feelings, um, will he act on them with Earth 1 Iris? And what kind of situation will that create? There were also kind of lots of cool, you know, just doppelganger uh, shout-outs. You have uh, Howard Hewitt and you have uh, Lawton, Deadshot, uh, essentially being polar opposites of them, of their Earth-1 selves. That was great. Uh, even the Central City Police Captain, whose name I can't remember, he got to be a polar opposite. He got to be a common criminal. That was nice. Um, now, Cisco's doppelganger, Reverb, I thought that was pretty awesome. He he was a really good bad guy. Um, and I really enjoyed that performance a, a lot uh, by Carlos. Um, and for our Cisco, Earth-1 Cisco, to see the potential that his powers have, if he could get to the level of reverb, um, and if he ever does get those kind of powers, um, then you have to think that Cisco as vibe will be just as valuable in the field as he is in the lab. And I, I, I don't know if the show will try to explore that or if it, this will be a really slow burn for Cisco. Um, it may take him a long time before he gets his power so that they can keep him in the lab a little bit. I think that if they put him in the field, that might actually be a little bit better because it might give Caitlin um, more to do in the lab because she's just feeling kind of lost in the story this year. And as for... Cisco and Barry are Earth-1 versions freaking out over Earth-2 itself. Um, that was really cool. Uh, but like I mentioned before, I, I feel like Barry's made a mistake by letting himself get so involved with all of the Earth-2 machinations and all of these uh, doppelgangers. The whole purpose of this, him taking the, the Barry doppelganger was to try and find Zoom. And by the end of the episode, that's been totally abandoned except for the fact that you know, it just so happens that things coincide and Zoom ends up finding him. One thing that I guess the Barry doppelganger does do is help us determine who Zoom is not. It seems highly unlikely now that Zoom is Earth to Barry, if anybody was thinking that. Because uh, Iris certainly did seem surprised that her meta alarm went off in Barry's presence. Um, and I don't think if Barry, if if Doppelganger Barry, if Earth 2 Barry had those kinds of uh, powers, um, that he would have been able to hide that. But maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, you can't totally eliminate the, the, the possibility. Because Zoom might have found some way to disguise himself from those kind of apps. As for Earth 1 Barry... The thing that really got me in this episode and one of the finest moments of, of this series, simply for the fact that I felt like it paid a lot of things off, was Barry's conversation with his mom. I mean, man, that got me. I, I as you know, I admit frequently that I'm a, a, a sap, uh, but Grant did such a good job with this scene and Blake Neely's score was just such a home run. Um, I just about totally fell apart and it wasn't because I was sad for Barry. It was because I felt like that this was a moment of closure that Barry has needed for a very long time. Um, probably ever since he realized that he could not go back in time and save his mom. And it hit me. It, it just, it was just kind of like, you know, maybe now Barry can, 
um, that can be one less thing on Barry's plate. Because even at the beginning of the episode, when him and Iris are talking about, you know, how he might not want to come back from Earth 2 or something like that, that maybe that was part of the reasoning and maybe this will give him the strength to uh, be able to move on a little bit because that was just such a poignant moment. I, I loved it. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is that I would have never have thought to have that kind of moment in this episode. It is the perfect opportunity, uh, but I would have never thought of it if I was a writer for this show. So kudos to the writer for taking this opportunity to make a huge moment um, for for Barry, what potentially could be a huge moment for Barry in terms of, of closure, if nothing else. Um, I thought that was just super fantastic. Now, as for Harry, with the way the episode opened up, I really thought this was going to be more about him, you know, given the only that he's kind of the only one who knows anything about Earth 2 besides Jay, and Jay's still over on the Earth 1 side. Um, and I really loved the intro into this episode. But after that, he just kind of sunk into the background, except to kind of point out the obvious about Barry involving himself too much with Earth 2 people and losing focus on their mission. One other thing about all of this extra overzealous 40s style kind of vibe that we got with all of the other characters is that it makes Harry seem like he doesn't fit in that world because he still very much seems like an Earth One kind of guy. Different than the Harry Wells we knew from season one, but definitely not the overdramatic, certainly not uh, digging into 40s style clothes kind of Harrison Wells that you would expect him to be if he was from Earth 2. So I, I just kind of wonder if Tom Cavanaugh, you know, wasn't given enough information about what Earth 2 was actually like when he developed this version of Harrison Wells uh, because he doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the characters on Earth 2 all that well. Neither does Jay, really. I mean, most of the main guys, maybe that's what it is. and uh, But... But like everybody else, Iris, Joe, everybody else was just so over the top. And, and here we have all of this subtle stuff uh, coming from people who are from the same world. So I don't understand. Um, it just seems like there's a little bit of incontinuity there. Something else that kind of seems a little displaced. And, and maybe it's just because I missed something or I forgot something. But back on Earth 1, we found out that Jay isn't dying from his speed force being taken, but it's because he took this velocity six stuff. But I mean, I remember in the fast lane episode, Barry got his speed taken and it seemed to affect his genetics, but has Barry been given velocity six before? Did Harrison give him some before to help him? I don't know, recover from his injuries from zoom. I don't remember. I, I need you to, tell me because I, I just really cannot remember um, why Barry's genetics would be out of place if it was actually the Velocity 6 and I just don't remember maybe I just don't remember Barry getting any Velocity 6 but I, I sure don't so right now it seems like um, it was just a convenient thing to be able to give Jay some super speed for this particular episode because my big question is is why would Jay lie about what was killing him? 
to Caitlin the first time around. I mean, first of all, he's been lying that about not being able to find himself. He's been lying about the fact that he was dying. Now he's lying about what is causing him dying. Why, why is he doing all of this lying? And, and the other thing that bothered me was that Caitlin suddenly comes up with Velocity 7 that fast. I mean, if Jay had just said something about this at the very beginning when he first got back over from Earth 2 to Earth 1, um, he might be fine right now. I don't know. Or maybe the Velocity 7 is still affecting his genetics too. I, we'll just have to learn more as it goes along. But right now it just seems like it's just something dangling in the wind to keep from answering questions. I, I just don't get it. Now, as for the villain on Earth-1, uh, the, the regular metahuman, Geomancer, I guess, uh, his powers were pretty cool. And seeing Jay as a Flash was okay, I guess. But I, I never really got engaged in the Earth-1 side of the story. Um, again, the velocity explanation seems a little weak, uh, at least until somebody corrects me and, and we see evidence that Barry took some Velocity 6 at some point. And um, even the speed cannon thing falling apart as they went through, that just really didn't interest me that much. Again, it seemed just convenient for the plot to make it so that uh, Barry and the gang might be trapped over there on Earth, too. Um, but it doesn't really seem like, if, you, if you've seen the title of, episode, of the next episode, um, it doesn't seem like uh, that's really going to be an issue. I don't know. Oh, well. They keep trying with Jay. I'm just really kind of disappointed in uh, that so far. I feel like that um, if you're going to introduce a character as epic as the original Flash or, or something like that, then you should do something with him rather than just have him sit around and kick dirt and go, I don't know, I lied about this. I don't know, I lied about that. Just um, really disappointing. Now, as for the ending... I have this question. Why would Zoom take Barry back to his lair if he's just going to take his speed and then probably kill him anyway? And the only explanation for that that I can find is either A, well, we needed a cliffhanger for a part two because it is sweeps month, and B, um, maybe Zoom might want Barry to fully heal so that he's sure to get all of his speed force. That seems like the most logical explanation that I could come up with as to why Zoom didn't just kill him right there in the warehouse. All in all, the episode looked fantastic. It was really good in terms of look. I love the overacting flair, the 40s vibe, um, all of the antiquities mixed with new technology. That was fantastic. Uh, just the look of Earth 2. Just, I loved it. A little weirded out by some of the incontinuities between Harry and seemingly everybody else on Earth 2 in terms of their personality, but that's okay, I guess. I, I was a little disappointed in some of the plot twists, like the whole Jay thing. But, um, again, the big thing for me, and, and the thing that really makes this episode fantastic, I think even on a series level, was Barry getting talked to his mom. I, I think that that uh, was huge, um, looking at Barry's overall arc as we go forward. Um, at least I'm hoping that I that that's the impression that they were trying to give because it certainly gave me some closure. I hope it gave Barry as much closure as it did me. Um, I do think I liked last week a little better than this week, though. Despite the great look of Earth Two and and Zoom being there, I, it's much more of an event episode. But I don't think it was quite 
and I mean just barely quite as good as Fastlane. So I'm going to go to uh, somewhere like an 8.7 for this one. Um, maybe close to an 8.8, but not quite as good as Fastlane. And with that, I guess I better move on to Arrow, which is Season 4, Episode 13, The Sins of the Father. That one written by Ben Sokolowski and Kato Shimizu and directed by Gordon Verhul. I hope I said all those names right. I never know if I do. It's not like anybody at the show is listening to me uh, and can uh, send me a scathing email telling me uh, that I'm doing it wrong. But uh, if you know that I'm doing it wrong, then write to me and tell me that I'm doing it wrong. Save the city podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at Save the City Pod or you can call 314 669 1840. So, Sins of the Father. Okay. Let's talk, I guess, about the most recent father reveal first. Noah and Felicity here. I mean, did anyone buy that load of crap that Noah was giving Felicity at the beginning? I mean, I was a little surprised that he just came out with everything and admitted to her who he was and that he knew who she was. Um, But other than that, it was kind of a load of bull, or at least seemingly so. I appreciated that Felicity, despite knowing this, was all still for giving him a chance, giving him the test like her and Oliver talked about. But no one should have been fooled by the ending, the way it came out. And I hate to say it, but that actually makes me wonder if Calculator won't ultimately turn out to be good at some point because this was just a little bit too easy. Okay, actor availability and all of that too, they had to wrap it up, but... I I don't know. Maybe because it was so easy, maybe there's some genuineness in calculator there. That's just me covering all the bases. Uh, I got to throw everything out there so that someday I might be right with some kind of crazy crackpot idea. Anyway, though her appearance was kind of brief for Felicity, I, I think that this was a great performance by Charlotte Ross as Mama Smoke. Because all of the dinginess just went away instantly as soon as Noah was mentioned. And I think that that showed that Felicity's mom has had way too much experience to buy into the idea that Felicity was trying to float to Mama Smoke about Felicity's dad. And I have to say that Calculator himself, really neither in the prior episode nor in this one, really impressed me all that much. I do find it hard to believe that he would get caught so easily. That's the thing. Or be so clumsy in regards to stealing, trying to steal Palmer Tech with that IR burst thing. And then there's still kind of the question of who he's working for, right? I mean, maybe he's working for Dark. Um, I'm pretty sure that Dark would want the Palmer Corporation taken down just like every other corporation taken down in the city because he wants to basically eliminate the city. And some of the tech there from Palmer Industries might be useful to him too. But like Oliver said, uh, this probably still isn't resolved as far as Papa Smoke goes. So maybe we'll see him back again um, as the season goes on. Or at least we'll see an effect of who he's been working for as the season goes on. Um, because maybe he wasn't really being clumsy. Maybe that uh, maybe that IR burst thing was uh, a decoy of some kind. We'll have to see. 
Yeah. As for the other sinning father, Malcolm, wow, did he ever get a payback for all the trouble that he's caused? Losing his hand, losing his power. Let's not also forget that despite all of this trouble that he's caused just for Oliver and for Star City in general, he's the guy that recycled Vandal Savage by, I guess, saving part of his remains to, I guess, regenerate or whatever. So Malcolm has a lot coming. Um, yeah, he did have a lot coming. He has a lot to atone for. Um, and I don't know, was cutting off his left wrist, uh, cutting off his left hand at the wrist. Was that enough punishment for you folks? I don't know. Um, I've grown to kind of love Malcolm Merlin. He's just a great bad guy. Um, and, uh, I love how there was conflict within Oliver because he felt the same way about Malcolm that I do. He's like, you really, you want to hate him. But at the same time, you love Thea so much that you want to give him a chance to live so that she can have the chance to know her father. But you, if the only way you can get Thea to live is to kill her father, I mean, it's quite a conundrum. But really, by the end of the episode, the thing that you come to is, do you really want Thea knowing her father any better? Uh I actually wasn't surprised that Malcolm would, would know about Oliver's son, William. I actually was surprised that Damien Dark hadn't known about it up until that point. I thought that Damien already knew for some reason. I just had this sneaking suspicion. So once again, out of many times that you'll hear me say this, I was wrong. Uh, he knows now, though, so there we go. Uh, and... Because of that, they're drawing an, a lot of obvious lines towards the flash forward. And overly obvious is the problem. Because logic says that maybe William is the person in the grave now. Logic says that Oliver must either kill Damien for causing William's death, either directly or indirectly. I'll give it that much at this point. Or Malcolm for the same, either indirectly or directly. So, for the sake of the show being way too obvious for drawing those lines for us, let's throw it all out the window for now. Let's just do that. Let's say this was a red herring so that I can be wrong about that later on too. Uh, at least until we get another piece to mislead us in another direction. I, I, I think I've gone through all of the possible scenarios over the course of the season ever since we got the flash forward. And really any one of them is still perfectly plausible to me, save for Felicity being in the grave. Uh, we know that's not the case. We know Barry's not in the grave. We know Oliver's not in the grave, obviously. Um, but I, I have to give the show kind of kudos for not giving us too much to be able to really do anything with in terms of uh, solidifying a guess at this point. Like I said, logic takes you to William um, and to being either Dark or Malcolm that Oliver's going to go after. Um, but I, I just don't know because they made it so obvious that I, I just feel like that it can't possibly be that. Um, I just hope that the whole thing ends up paying off really well because they sure are doing, making an awful lot of effort, uh, to make us rack our brains about it. But here's something else, uh, about Malcolm, uh, in this episode, he said to Oliver that why he didn't want to give the ring up was because, the leak was helping hold at bay things that were more or less really bad for the world. 
as well as the, the league itself just being kind of evil in its own by its own nature. But he actually called, I think, the league a force of nature that is manipulating world events behind the scenes. And obviously, Dark is doing pretty much the same thing. So um, that could be it. Um, I wonder if Malcolm has been directing the league to fight Hive actively. Uh, we know that they have no love for each other, that's for sure. And now that Nyssa has kind of disbanded the league by the end of the episode, I, you have to wonder how many of these League of Assassins will go to work for Dark. Um, has really her doing this just strengthened Dark's army? Or is it possible that these forces of nature working behind the scenes, could he be talking about Vandal Savage himself? Um, we've seen Vandal Savage being around various uh, key points in history. Um, could the disbanding of the League be a key to Savage's next quest? Um, somehow, they're going to have to end up telling us why Malcolm would help Savage. Um, I, I just feel like that that's a critical piece of information. Um, I do think that Merlin's wanting to stay in power wasn't just for, Mal- for power's sake. But then again, given w- the place that, that Malcolm is in by the end of this episode, I'm not sure it really matters anymore because he's going to be so um, hell-bent for revenge that uh, you know he's kind of thrown his own arms up in the air. And by betraying the thing about Oliver's son to Damien, that could be really, really bad. I want to go to Thea real quick and just ask, okay, is her bloodlust actually cured? Is it over for her? God, I hope so. Um, it also makes me wonder that if they used all of the Lotus to cure Thea, I mean, could there still be enough for Sarah from the Legend series? Or maybe even this, maybe the discovery of the Lotus uh, that Nyssa has learned this hand down this handed down knowledge will be due to the fact that Sarah's back there traveling through time and she discovers it for herself. And that's how the lore gets passed down to Nyssa. Um, there's all kinds of neat ways that they can actually tie up this bloodlust thing in this very half season without ever having to address it again. And I really kind of hope they do because you all know how I felt about the Lazarus pit in the first place being a reset button and all of this stuff could be and should be closed for good. In my opinion, I never liked it from the beginning, Uh, but I've railed on that many, many times. So I'll stop there. Uh, Nissa, I like the idea behind her decision to disband the league, but after what Malcolm said, it makes me wonder if it was actually a good idea or not in practice. And as far as her stubbornness in regards to letting Merlin take the blame for Thea's death if he didn't agree to give over the ring, that was pretty menacing and not out of character, but a little colder than I thought Nyssa would be. The, the thing is, is that at very least it did give Laurel something to do in this episode. I mean, they capitalized on Nyssa and, and Laurel's past alliance um, as a good way to kind of turn Nyssa around eventually and that was really kind of the only role that Laurel really served in this episode but it was a good role as for Oliver I I, (laughs) he defends Nyssa 
claiming that she is his wife, and then 20 minutes later, he's asking Felicity to marry him. Uh, as far as Felicity goes, is this why she doesn't have the engagement ring on in the flash forward, as Donald pointed out? Um, to me, it actually seems more likely that the whole William reveal will be the reason for that. Um, somehow Dark will get that information to Felicity one way or another, and that will be why um, they are no longer engaged, because we saw that same situation already play out in the alternate timeline in the crossover episodes. Maybe that also is too obvious. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not really sure what they're trying to pull here. I'm just hanging on uh, by a thread. I like hanging on and, and keep questioning my questioning uh, from week to week, but uh, I'm not any closer to any ideas as to what any of it means. Um, the Island flashback stuff this week was just kind of meh for me, uh, as it has been for most of the season, as I'm sure it has been for most of the season uh, for you guys too. They did. They have the last couple of weeks been using it to kind of tie in a theme of an episode together, I guess, where here he's, uh, you know, uh, the whole thing about trying to find a, a, another solution. But for the most part, with the island stuff this week, I, I'm fairly unimpressed. I guess they'll go digging next week. Hopefully something good will come out of all of this by the end of the season. I hope it's not just to pay off the Russian girl's death. Um, the same way that they paid off uh, the death last season of going all through that Hong Kong stuff. That was not the best use of flashbacks last season. I hope this season doesn't turn out to be the same way. All in all, the episode did have decent action, if you're into that. Um, some good stunts. They did wrap up a few dangling threads, maybe, if the blood lust is indeed cured. Um... The episode still leaves you asking questions, so that's good. But I have to admit, uh, this wasn't nearly as big of a showdown kind of thing or even a conflicted kind of thing as I had hoped for or really expected. I, I was just not very into the calculator stuff. I was actually even just disappointed by it. Um, but it still may pay off later, so um, I'll give it that. At, at any rate, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with like a straight eight this week or, or maybe an 8.1. It's a good episode, uh, but just not nearly as good as uh, Unchained, the prior episode was. So there's Arrow. Let's get to talking about uh, the Legends from last week, Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 4, White Knights, written by Sarah Nicole Jones and Phil Klemmer, and directed by another name I'm going to screw up, Antonio... Negret. I guess it's just going to be one week we get the Time Masters involved, one week we don't. And instead we'll get Vandal Savage. I don't know if it's the budget of the show or if they've just decided that this is what they want to do, but it's the Time Masters' turn to create havoc this week, I guess. E even though the Thermal Core, I guess, was the main objective and is what has created uh, this week's kind of cliffhanger, um, it was certainly complicated by uh, Teacher Time Man, whose name I forget, and Kronos once again. I do still really like the look of Kronos. I like the scenes when he's in them. Um, but then again, I think this guy's from the future, and he seems pretty benign to the team so far. And okay, 
Jacks got hurt a little bit. That was because Jacks was being a little reckless, as Stein points out. But it, it just still doesn't seem like uh, seems like there ought to be more of a casualty list uh, to to Cronus being around. I guess the first time we saw him, that the, there was a little bit of a, of a uh, a casualty list queued up by that, but it still just didn't seem nearly as menacing as you would think someone from the future who has access to time would be. The Sarah and Kendra's side of the story was really kind of disappointing for me. It was just okay at best. Sometimes that all feels kind of redundant, especially as far as Sarah's story here goes. And then you have Thea's story from Arrow being virtually the same thing. Yet we see Sarah trying things that Thea has already tried. So those of us who are watching all of the shows know that it won't work. So we're just twiddling our thumbs and and waiting for her to realize that it won't work. But like I brought up in the Arrow portion of the podcast just a few minutes ago, maybe the Lotus thing actually will be the thing that works. And maybe it's because Sarah is here in the past or way further back in the past. Sarah will discover this and that's how the whole lore gets handed down to Nyssa. Um, And Sarah cures herself back in the past and therefore she, you know, essentially everybody then knows it works and then Nyssa is able to use it to help Thea indirectly. As for Kendra, I've really got no idea what's going on there. Her behavior is just like erratic from one moment to the next and it almost feels to me like the writers are just stalling because she is, of course, eventually going to be the key. They've already established that she is the key to destroying Savage once and for all. So in the meantime, they, they just have to kind of give this hot mess until she can develop this, the strength and the sensibility to be able to end Savage once and for all. And and maybe that's the problem. It's just that the cast feels too big for what this story is supposed to be. I mean, this is really, essentially, it's Kendra and, and Carter's and, and Savage's story. Um, now, Rip is obviously involved because he's got a personal stake in it due to his family losing it. All these other people just seem to be along for the ride because they're kind of lost souls. But... Because the cast is so big, it seems like that every week we have to break them up into these little mini groups just so that they can give everybody something to do. And it doesn't always seem to serve the story properly to me. And while it was cool at first, um, we're now in the fourth episode, and I hate to be such a Debbie Downer, but it's already really starting to wear on me. Ray essentially... I mean, he essentially had zero purpose except for comic relief this week, save for the handling the core thing, uh, which turned out to be a complete failure anyway, since Stein ended up taking it without needing the core to be dropped. By the way, that control panel thing looked like an old audio mixer in a recording studio. They just added some colorful lights to um, that distracted me as a musician. I'm, I don't know if anybody else gave that any notice, but it just, I was just like, oh, yeah, he's turning the volume up. Oh, wait, he's turning the volume down. Oh, yeah, he's turning the volume back up. You know, it, I was, uh, yeah, 
I, w- I was mixing a Led Zeppelin album while watching Ray do that. <laughs> uh, I got to say, honestly, though, you know, this Jack Stein dynamic thing isn't really working for me either. I, I will say that Stein's idea of mentorship to Jack's is not working for him. He should be smarter than that. And he should be smart enough to realize that no matter what his motivation is. And I, I realize that he doesn't want Jax to give his life up and he still feels guilty about Ronnie. Um, but it's because he feels guilty about it. It's not really, I, I don't really feel like he's caring for Jax really. He's just f- caring about his feelings about having to go back to uh, Jax's mother. If Jax would turn out to die. Um, and and really, his whole selfishness then uh, is what has put him and Mick and, and Ray in some real peril from the Russians. So, I don't know. Um, hopefully, I mean, I understand that's a character-developing thing, and maybe someday they'll work as a great team. Maybe they never will. Um, and that's okay. You do need some conflict within the team. I, I, it's not that I don't... Um, acknowledge that it's just that uh, why does it have to be the same two guys every week that's my thing i guess I, well i guess that makes it more consistent even though the the sarah and kendra stuff was a little bit at odds but it's really just rip manipulating both of them one thing i really am pleased that this show is doing in terms of character development though is this the snart and mcrory stuff uh, this episode these guys are making all the right moves and, and they're making the most logical sense out of anyone. I mean, Rory's pointing out to, to rip that he's just walking into a trap. Uh, and snart has kind of become like this very hand solo kind of character to me as this series has gone on in the first four episodes. And I really, really like that. Now is his lifting wallets. I mean, that's a nice gag for now, but I don't like the idea of Snart being a petty criminal like that either. I, I think it kind of demeans the big picture guy that that Snart uh, seemed to be in the Flash series. So I hope that doesn't just become some kind of like weekly shtick, if you know what I mean. And as for the Russian scientist that he flirted with, uh, who was kind of our sub-level baddie this week, she was okay. I mean... I, I really didn't get moved to the point of hating her or liking her one way or the other, though. Uh, it was just kind of meh for me. And I, I really don't know if there's that much else to talk about as far as this episode goes. Um, cool space stuff. Um, good Jack's effects. Uh, the Visually, the show is still great. Um, and there is some level of insanity to it, as the showrunners put. You know, you just never quite know what's going to happen next. But then when you get to the end of it, you kind of wonder why any of it had happened in the first place. And as I said before, you know, if they keep following this formula of facing Savage like every other week, which just seems to be what they're going for, or at least for now, everything else just becomes window dressing. The Russians, to me, this week and I guess next week, since we got the slight cliffhanger, uh, it's just it's becomes just maneuvering things. And you can explore, I guess, the fun parts about what if they change something uh, as they go along and how do they fix that. But, you know, so far, it just seems like it's a it's a one track show. OK, a two track show. You got Time Guys and Vandal Savage alternating from week to week. 
Um, and I, I'm still going to give the show a slight break. I got to allow for it to find its feet and, and figure out a way to expand everything. And they're still really trying to establish the, the character of the team itself. So I can't go too far down in the rating. Um, but I got to drop my rating down this week from last week because it, it just seems like it is getting kind of formulaic just with different window dressing. So this week I go 7.9 and ask that uh, I get something really exciting um, next week that seems more serialized, um, something that progresses rather than something that just uh, checks the boxes. So those are my ratings and my reviews of those three episodes from last week. I've got a tweet from Donald, our podcaster who joins us sometimes. He's from Podcast Littlefell. Uh, be sure to check out that podcast when Game of Thrones comes back. Uh, all of my old uh, lost podcasting buddies are on that singular podcast where they're breaking down Game of Thrones for you. Um, but uh, Donald tweeted me this last week, um, and it was before I'd seen the episodes. I only saw the episodes today on Monday as I'm recording this. But he said, okay, bear with me here. If all the legends complete their missions, they will be returned to the day they left. But we see it's been weeks on Arrow and Flash since they left, and they haven't returned. So do they all die or fail their mission? And uh, that's a very interesting prospect. Donald, um, I, I tweeted back at you, it's like, interesting. Uh, I don't have an answer. I didn't understand that they were going to, if they succeeded they were going to be put back at the point where they were um i don't know how you would do that um but i one thing i did get was that this week the time teacher dude said if you surrender we'll replace everybody back to where they were um but they were going to kill them anyway so it doesn't really matter but I didn't know if they completed their missions that they would all be returned to the day they left that must be something that i just missed buddy so um i'll take your word for it um but that is a good question since we're not seeing them anywhere of course we wouldn't see them normally in a flash or arrow episode anyway there was after ray even got back um in some of the uh episodes earlier in the season before the the mid-season finale um we didn't see them from week to week so you could say that they've just you know ray's just disappeared off because he's supposed to be dead sarah's off uh, living her life because uh, she's done with the league. And you could say things like that, but uh, I don't know. It still is a possibility. That could make it. That would be a great way to, to end the series is to just have them fail, have them all fail, except for maybe Rip since he's in that time period. Maybe he finally faces down Vandal Savage in uh, his own time and manages to get him, him and Kendra somehow. Um, and Kendra dies in the process as well. We will have to see. We will have to see. But that's a great question, Donald. And folks, that's it for this week. Next, uh, well, this coming Friday, I'll try to have a review for you for the 14th episode of Season 2 of Flash, the 14th episode of Season 4 of Arrow, and the 15th episode of Supergirl, which is airing right now, but I'm missing because I'm recording um, but I, so I will watch it at cbs.com tomorrow and, um, uh, we'll put together the reviews and try and get you a podcast out 
by Friday uh, reviewing those. And then we'll go back to our regular Legends Supergirl episode that, uh, a week from today. Uh, hopefully you're hearing this on Tuesday morning. And then uh, we'll be able to split them back up into more uh, chewable chunks rather than me just uh, shoving food down your mouth for an hour or probably a little less, but nonetheless. Thanks again for listening. Remember, if you have any thoughts like Donald did, feel free to tweet me at Save This City Pod, or you can uh, send an email to Save This City Podcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail that I can actually play on the podcast. You can hear yourself on the podcast schooling me about how I know nothing about this show uh, or any of these shows. Uh, by calling 314-669-1840 and leaving a voicemail. This is Matt. We'll see you on Friday. Take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.